We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, in the rescue that you have provided through his person and his work in the gospel message. Father, we thank you for friends and partners in the gospel uh, that we can serve alongside of uh, to love you more and to spread this good news. And Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit at work in us and through us, that you fill your church, uh, that you desire that we would grow to be more and more like Christ. And so we ask this morning that you would meet us in this time through the teaching of your word, through praying, through question and answers, through time of ministry, that your spirit would move in our hearts and in our minds, that we would see you more clearly. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to invite our guest, Mark Prater, to come on up uh, and instruct us this morning. If you don't know, some of you do, Mark is a pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church up in Glen Mills, a sovereign grace church that we partner with. Uh, he is a, a dear friend and brother. Uh, he has served the pastors of this church so well over the years. Uh, we have benefited from friendship and instruction from him, uh, and we are grateful for you and the team to join us today and instruct us. So thank you, brother. Uh, thank you. Now you can hear me. You can uh, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, I love coming to Green Tree. We, we really do share a partnership between our churches. And uh, it's one of the reasons I, I love coming here and, and seeing some of you again and some of you for the very first time. Um, thank you for being here on a Saturday. Uh, you being here on a Saturday morning when you could be doing a lot of other things, like even sleeping in a bit more, um, tells, you, tells me a lot about your desire to encounter God and to be with Him and to understand uh, the spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk about that today, and then we'll, we'll hone in on the gift of, of prophecy in particular. So that's what this outline really is about. We'll, we'll look at some characteristics of the spiritual gifts, and then we'll talk about the gift of prophecy before moving to ministry. Uh, you received an outline. My outlines are so unimpressive, but I wanted you to have them because there's some quotes in there that are impressive, at least hopefully, and it gives you a little bit of an idea of how I, I teach this material. Um, title of my sermon or this teaching is Spirit-Filled People Using Their Spiritual Gifts. And we're going to read 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that, what, that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given 
the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. May God bless the preaching of his word. You and I, we live in a physical, material, traffic jam, schedule-packed, fast-paced world. We daily feel the pressures of work, of raising our families, of providing for ourselves and for our families. And now the holidays are about upon us, which adds a bustle of activity. On top of that, our cars break down. The roofs on our houses, they need replaced. And for some of us, as we get older, we have to go to the doctor a little bit more often. See, all of those are reminders that we live in a physical, material world. And we must be careful as Christians that the demands of living in a physical, material world don't lull us into the reality and the truth that we are spiritual people, people who have been transformed by the Spirit of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, and are filled with the Spirit of God. You see, if we as Christians, if we allow living in this material world to allow us to forget that we are spiritual, spiritual people, we will live unaware of the power and of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. Richard Lovelace says this, I put this quote in your outline, the failure to recognize the Holy Spirit as personally present in our lives is widespread in the churches today. Even where Christians know about the Holy Spirit doctrinally, they have not necessarily made a deliberate point of getting to know him personally. A normal relationship with the Holy Spirit should at least approximate the Old Testament experience described in Psalm 139, a profound awareness that we are always face-to-face with God. That as we move through through life, the presence of His Spirit is the most real and powerful factor in our daily environment. That underneath the momentary static of events, conflicts, problems, and even excursions into sin, he is always there. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, do you believe that God is always present? Do you believe that the Spirit is always there? See, we can't allow the demands of living in a physical, material world to lull us into forgetting this reality, that as Christians, we are spiritual people who are indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in opening this section of the letter to the Corinthians, where Paul wants to discuss the spiritual gifts, you know that's chapters 12 through 14, he begins this conversation by drawing their attention to this truth that they are spiritual people. He does this this in verses 2 and 3, reminding them of who they were. 
They were once pagans who were being led astray by mute idols. But now they are different. They are people who declare that Jesus is Lord. And it's, it's clear in verse 3 that only those that have been regenerated by the Spirit of God and indwelt by the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit of God, only those kind of people, only those people can declare that Jesus is Lord. Now, this verse, let's look at verse 3 again. He says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, that verse is important in understanding the rest of our text in a couple of different ways. First, before Paul narrows the discussion to talk about the spiritual gifts, he references there the broad work of the Spirit. And in particular, what we see in verse 3, the the regenerating work of the Spirit. That work that Jesus talked about in John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. You know those verses, those who are born of flesh are flesh, and those who are born of spirit are spirit, right? He's talking about regeneration and conversion. It's a reminder to you and I this morning, and we need to be so grateful for this. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. No way to bring ourselves to to life. And the Spirit then works upon us and regenerates our hearts and convicts us of sin and grants us saving faith so that we respond to the gospel and we say, Jesus is Lord. It's the greatest miracle we will ever know. And it's one that we must be forever grateful for. So before narrowing and talking about the gifts of the Spirit, he references the broad work of the Spirit, and in particular, the regenerating work of the Spirit. Second, this verse is important because we know from verse 3 that at our conversion, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And it's a reminder that each and every day in this material, physical world, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, present tense language, be filled with the Spirit. As Christians, we have this ongoing need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can experience the presence and the power of the Spirit in our lives. I believe that's why you're here this morning. Don't you want to experience more of the Spirit's presence and more of the Spirit's power in your life? I believe you do. It's why you're here. And one of the ways that we experience the presence and power of the Spirit is by using our spiritual gifts or being the recipient of the spiritual gifts of others, which is why Paul begins this section in chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts. And that, that's relevant for you as a church. It's relevant to us as a family of churches in sovereign grace because theologically, we don't define ourselves as cessationists. That's a theological term. We don't believe the gifts have ceased at the end of the apostolic age. Rather, we define ourselves, and you define yourself as a church, as continuationists. That's a theological term, which simply means that we believe the gifts will continue to be used until Christ returns. 
So what Paul has to say here, even though it was written hundreds of years ago, is very relevant for you as a church and for our family of churches in sovereign grace. So we're going to look at briefly four characteristics of the spiritual gifts, and then we're going to look at the gift of prophecy in particular. So first characteristic, gifts are given and empowered by God. So let's look at verses 4 through 6 and then verse 11 again. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And then verse 11, after he lists these gifts, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions, who gives to each one individually as he wills. We see from those verses that God gives the gifts and he apportions the gifts and he empowers the gifts. But what, what's striking in verses 4 through 6 is that every member of the Trinity is mentioned. So we see the Holy Spirit mentioned in verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 5, God the Father in verse 6. And did you note that before each of the members of the Trinity are mentioned, there's this word varieties that is used. So varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. Paul is saying that God has given everyone in the church a, a diversity, a variety of gifts, and that variety, that diversity is actually rooted in the Trinity itself. That's a, that's a massive theological truth. Each member of the Trinity is fully God, but each member of the Trinity, as you know, has different services or different functions that they perform. According to verse 11, God has given each of us gifts, each of us gifts, and God gives them, he apportions them, and then he empowers them so that when we collectively use them together, those diversity, a variety of gifts, when we use them together, we reflect something of the Trinitarian Godhead himself. That's a massive truth that should cause us to, to step back and to give God glory. See, that's, that's important. It's an important that we don't miss that theological construct in verses 4 through 6 in looking at the gifts so that the gifts don't become about us. Rather, the gifts are all about God. And they're given, a diverse list of gifts are given to each of us, and they're empowered by God to draw great attention to God so that he may receive all the glory. See, if, if you come from a, a church past, a cessationist church past, or, or maybe you've just recently started attending here and don't know whether you're going to become a member here or not, and you've, you've got a cessationist past, you, you're not sure about the gifts things, and you're, you're reluctant about the gifts because you've seen the gifts misused in the past, misused in a way that draws attention to people and not to God. You need to know that this is a church, and as a family of churches, that is an error we are attempting to avoid. We want to use our gifts dependent upon the Spirit to empower them and then to use them in a way that draws great attention to God. That's the way we were praying this morning, right before this meeting, that all that would happen here 
that God would receive the glory, that each of you would drive home marveling at how great our God is. And may God answer that prayer. It's also important to, to note there in the text that it's intentional that Paul mentions twice that God empowers the gifts. You see that in verse 6 and you see it in verse 11. So to effectively use our gifts, whatever gifts they may be, we are people who are dependent upon the Spirit's power. Now, maybe it's good to just define the gifts. What do you mean spiritual gifts? What are you talking about, Mark? I like this definition I put in your outline by Boyd Hunt. Spiritual gifts are God empowering his people through the Holy Spirit for kingdom life and service, enabling them in attitude and action to live and minister in a manner which glorifies Christ. So some gifts look more like natural abilities or natural talents, like helping and administration that you see there in verse 28 in this chapter. Other gifts look a little bit more supernatural, whether that's the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy, healing in verse 9, prophecy in verse 10. In other words, gifts, as they are used in the New Testament, describe a broad and diverse group of abilities and talents and gifts that God gives us to minister to others so that we can participate in kingdom life and service and in a way that brings much glory to Jesus Christ. See, spiritual gifts are given and empowered by God so that each of you sitting here, each of us here today, each of us can participate in ministry, in kingdom life, in ministry, and in gospel mission. So that's the first characteristic. Second characteristic, gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. You see that so clearly in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So one of the ways that God manifests his presence among, among us is that when we use our gifts, we actually experience the presence and the power of God. Max Turner makes this observation. The thread running through the whole discussion in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10, is that the phenomena Paul lists are regarded as events in which the Spirit is made manifest. That is, the Spirit's activity coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expression. They are workings of God, in which the presence and activity of divine power is judged to be a matter of immediate perception. See, God loves to fill ordinary people like you and me with the Spirit and give us power to minister and to serve others in a way that those that we serve, and even ourselves, we're aware that he is with us, and that he is among us, and that he is seeking to care for us as we use our gifts. See, we experience God's presence and power as we use our spiritual gifts. One of the things that we do at Covenant Fellowship, just to be intentional to use our gifts. Uh, on the fourth Sunday of every month after the service ends, we invite people up who want prayer for healing. In fact, there's, there's been some Sundays where the pastors forget to make that announcement and people come up and like, hey, what's up? I'm up here to be prayed for for healing. You forgot. I'm like, oh yeah, we forgot. 
So our church is used to that. And it was, um, it was just over the summer, I believe, if I, if I remember right. Uh, we had a particular morning. It was a fourth Sunday. And before the service, there were several people praying. A woman in a church by the name of Karen uh, just had an impression that there would be some there today that were struggling with diverticulitis in particular, just in, in intestinal pain and symptoms, and that God wanted to heal them. And so we, we passed, I forget who was closing the meeting, uh, one of the pastors was closing the meeting, so we closed the meeting, we gave the benediction, and we said, now we're going to invite folks up to pray for healing, and someone in our church was praying and just had an impression there may be people here who are wrestling with intestinal issues and diverticulitis in particular, and please come forward, we'd love to pray for you. So I'm with the other pastors praying, up, praying, up, uh, praying for folks up front, and this woman comes up to me I'd never met before. She was a guest there that Sunday. She came with one of our members, and she says, um, I'm not sure why I'm up here, but when you called for healing at the end of the service, I thought, I'll, I'll just stay in my seat. But when the pastor shared that those that are wrestling with or, or facing diverticulitis, and it's really intense, that's, that spoke right to me. And so I knew I had to come up. It's like God got me up out of my seat and came up. And she, she's like, you, you've got to understand, I'm a cessationist. I, I, don't, don't, I don't know about these gifts. I don't even know why I'm standing here. Except it was very clear I was to come. I said, I don't know either, but let's pray. And so we prayed for her. I don't know whether she was healed or not. But the point is this. She encountered God's presence, didn't she? God spoke to her, brought her on a Sunday when she was just coming with her friend and she didn't know we were going to pray for healing, spoke specifically to her enough that it caused her to get out of her seat and come and ask for prayer. We can't plan that. We're not that good. But God, through the use of the gifts, is good to his people. See, gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. All right, third characteristic, gifts are for the common good. You saw that in verse 7. I won't read it again. Um, it's, it's very clear. Why are the gifts given? For the common good. They are given to serve others. Gifts are given to strengthen the church. So all the gifts listed in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, all the gifts are given for the common good of the church. And it's a reminder again that gifts aren't given to draw attention to ourselves, but they are given to serve others. And as we serve others, may all the attention be given to Christ and may he receive all the glory. Again, Max Turner, the gift of the Spirit to believers affords the whole experiential dimension of the Christian life, which is essentially charismatic in nature. These charismata, meaning these gifts, operate at individual and corporate levels, enabling a life-giving, joyful understanding of and ability to apply the gospel Impelling and, impelling and enabling different services to others in the church and driving and empowering the mission to proclaim the good news. I like that definition because Max Turner does a good job of connecting the gifts to the work of the gospel in the church, which is my next characteristic, fourth characteristic. Gifts must stay connected to the gospel. 
See, one of the errors that you can see in the charismatic world, and if you come from the charismatic world, I, I mean that uh, not critically, just by an observation, but one of the errors that you see in the charismatic world, and we can be prone to make, is that we can separate the gifts from the gospel. And in so doing, put an overemphasis on the gifts, and very subtly, the gifts move into the center and the gospel moves out to the periphery. And that happens because of disproportion. There's a disproportionate emphasis on the gifts. J. Graham Cole writes this. He says, J.C. Ryle suggested that the gospel may be spoiled in a number of ways. We can spoil the gospel by substituting for Christ's saving work on the cross. For example, our good deeds, as Pelagius did. We can spoil Christ's work by adding to it, for example, faith plus circumcision as the Galatians error. We can also spoil the gospel by disproportion when secondary biblical accents become primary, for example, clerical clothing. We can spoil the gospel when the New Testament sense of proportion is lost and pneumatology becomes our primary emphasis rather than Christology. The, the idea in some charismatic circles, for example, that the major compass point for moving, for, moving ahead in, activity, in active ministry is not the cross, but the charismata is extremely troubling. It's a great observation. We must not put a disproportionate emphasis on the gifts. In fact, if, if you just take a look at this letter, just the way that this letter is structured tells you that. So Paul begins this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, saying, I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know the verse. So he goes on and he talks. He addresses a number of issues in Corinth. He's talking about division and sexual immorality and lawsuits and the issue with the gifts. It's a long list of issues that are, <laughs> the Corinthians are facing. And what's the one thing that he knows in each of those situations? It's Christ. And him crucified. It, it threads through the whole letter. And then he, he wraps up the letter in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He said, I deliver to you that of which is of first importance. What's of first importance? Is it the gifts? No. It's that Christ died for our sins. So he begins with the gospel. That, that gospel threads all the way through the letter, and he ends with what's most important. He ends with the gospel and sandwiched in between that beginning point and that ending point are this discussion in chapters 12 through 14 regarding the gifts. See, just the way the letter is structured tells you that the gifts are given to further, to strengthen the work of the gospel in your lives. And at times, as we know from verses 24 through 25 in, verse, in chapter 14, gifts can actually be used to reveal the secrets of the hearts of unbelievers where they have to at least acknowledge that God exists and potentially lead to their salvation. See, keep the gifts connected to the gospel. So any prophetic ministry that you receive here today, it's, it's given to continue to strengthen, to build you up in the work of the grace of God and the gospel in your life. So those are the characteristics of the gifts. Let's look at the gift of prophecy in particular. Uh, as continuationists, we, as I mentioned before, we believe the gifts are for today. 
and that God wants to use them for the good of the church, to strengthen the church, and to bring him glory. This list here in 1 Corinthians 12, by the way, is not an exhaustive list of the gifts. It's not. It's, it's, it's a list of gifts that are relevant to the church in Corinth at the time. In other words, there, there are issues in here that Paul needed to address, and you see that in particular in chapter 14 where he's talking about prophecy and tongues in particular. In fact, turn over to chapter 14 if you would. I don't know if I put those verses in your outline, but if it didn't, uh, turn over. We're going to just read verses 1 through 5. Uh, chapter 14 is probably the most exhaustive treatment of the gift of prophecy in the New, in the New Testament, along with the gift of tongues. So let, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. Transitioning from his chapter on love, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For, for, no, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So we see the gift of prophecy mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. We see it mentioned here again in 1 Corinthians 14. What is the gift of prophecy? Let me give you the definition we use at Covenant Fellowship. I think I put this in your outline. Here's how we define it. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Now, you got to be careful with that term revelation. By, the, by using the word revelation, we don't mean revelation that's adding to the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture is closed. So any prophetic words you receive today, you're not going to be able to find them in your Bible tomorrow, right? The canon of Scripture is closed. So you might say, well, Mark, why, why use the word revelation? Seems like a bit of a risky term that people could misunderstand. Well, that's true, but we use it, at least in our definition, because it's the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, like we've come together this morning, like you'll come together tomorrow as a church, when you come together, each, has, each one has a hymn you're going to sing tomorrow, a lesson you're going to hear preaching tomorrow, a revelation, there's that term, a tongue or an interpretation. And then look at verse 30. If a revelation, there's that word again, is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one. So Paul is using that word revelation. He's talking about prophecy we see in the next verse. And you can all prophesy. He's trying to bring order to the service. You can all prophesy one by one. So we use revelation because it's a word Paul uses not only here, but throughout the New Testament, to speak about divine activity. Wayne Grudem says this, the revelation which comes is thought by Paul to be of divine, not human origin. This is evident first from the fact that the word Paul uses for revelation occurs 44 times in the New Testament and never refers to human activity or communication. Rather, whenever the New Testament speaks of a, quote, revelation, it is always given by the activity of God. So prophecy is simply a human report 
of what you believe God has brought to mind, of what the Spirit has brought to mind. Now, we can move on and we can say, okay, got that, check, I understand what prophecy is, and we can miss an astounding truth. God actually desires to speak to you today. Now, we got to get this right. The main way that God speaks to us is through his word. That's the main way he speaks to us. That's the primary way and the most frequent way that he will speak to you is through his word. But at times, God will speak to us through prophetic ministry and through the use of the gift of prophecy. That's astounding that the God of the universe would be mindful of you and want to speak to you and want to build you up. It's an astounding truth. Which, which gets to my next point. What's the purpose of prophecy? We're going to look at the purpose of prophecy and then we're going to look at the gift's limitations. What's the purpose of prophecy? We see it in verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for what? For their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. In other words, the, the giving and receiving of prophetic words communicates not only that God is with us, it communicates that he knows us, and it communicates that he desires to care for us. One of the things that I'm always affected by in this section of Corinthians, chapters 12 through 14, chapter 14 in particular, is how it reveals God's heart for his people. If you read, and I would encourage you to do this later, if you read 1 Corinthians 14, you're going to find repetitive language there that's used six different times that communicates God's heart for his people. That repetitive language is this built-up language, this building-up language. You see, you see it in verses 3, 4, 5, 12, 17, and 26. And believing that Scripture is divinely inspired by God. That captures God's heart for you, that he desires to, to build you up, to encourage you, and when you need consolation, to console you. I think that's an important truth for us, that most of us need more frequently than what we might realize. Because most of us, if you're like me, most of us, we can have this tendency to have these, what John Owen called hard thoughts about God. We can, we can have a really difficult week and just be discouraged and come on a Sunday and just not sure you even want to be here. You, you made yourself come to church morning, right? You can be going through trials and suffering that seem to linger on, and you can just begin to wonder, is this God punishing me? I'm confused by what he's doing. Those are hard thoughts about God. We can have a week where it seemed like we just sinned a lot. I had one of those weeks this week. Yesterday, in my devotions, was just saying, Lord, this is, I've just sinned a lot this week. We can gather with God's people with a sense of shame and guilt. We can think that God... He's just kind of done with us. Kind of steps back and folds his arms and says, you work it all out, let me know, and then we'll re-engage. All of those are hard thoughts about God. 
And then the Spirit moves in the gathered church. And there can be a prophetic word that is shared that cuts through those hard thoughts about God and it tells you that God knows you and that he cares for you and that he loves you. So a few years ago, we as a church were preaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians and we got to chapter 5. You know that chapter. It says, do not despise prophecies. We were on that verse. And so we had planned as Jared taught on that passage that morning to do some ministry after the service, which, which is what happened. And when I tell you about a, a story of a, of a woman who sent me uh, an email after that morning, she said, after the service, I waited patiently for someone to pray for me. When it was my turn, the woman and I only exchanged names. That may seem kind of odd, but our church typically has eight or 900 people on, on a Sunday morning. We don't all know one another yet, and they had never met before. She touched my arm and began to pray. Her first words brought tears to my eyes. She said, I sense that you're in anticipation of something, and you're feeling anxiety related to whatever it is you're anticipating. She mentioned that the worship music on that morning touched me. However, as much as I wanted to, I was unsure how to cast my worries aside and trust God completely with the situation I was facing. She prayed that I would lift my gaze to God and trust him entirely. She prayed that I would shed the anxiety that I was experiencing like clothing and have faith that God would see me through this situation. And then she says this. I wept after because what she could not have known was that on the following day I was about to start a brand new job in a brand new field after only days earlier leaving a job and field that I had loved. I had been feeling an enormous amount of anxiety about leaving that field and transitioning into a new career. So much so I couldn't sleep at night. In fact, I was so worried that I failed to pray to God for help until the day before that service. She says, God spoke to me through prophecy that morning. He let me know that I was not alone and that he had heard my prayer and that he was with me. She came anxious. She came wondering, does God know my situation? And God used prophecy for its intended purpose to build her up and to encourage her so that she could step into her week with faith. That's an amazing thing, that the God of the universe was mindful of her on that particular morning. That's our God who wants to build us up. All right, let's look at prophecies limitations. There are a couple limitations that prophecy has. The gift of prophecy is affected by our finite and fallen humanness. So our ability to to give and to receive prophetic words is limited and imperfect. I'm so glad that 1 Corinthians 13 verse 9 is in my Bible. We know in part and we prophesy in part. So our ability to give and receive prophetic words, as I mentioned, is limited and imperfect. So the Let's contrast this. The prophecies that are found in Scripture are infallible. Any prophetic words that we share today are 
fallible. In other words, we can make mistakes. That's what that means. Now, but when we were praying a little bit before the meeting, we weren't praying, God, give us mistakes today. Hopefully that comforts you that we didn't pray that way. We didn't pray that way, but they can happen. I could tell you a lot about my mistakes. Let me just tell you one story. And I'm telling you this story because if you have the gift of prophecy or if you desire the gift of prophecy and you make a mistake, use it as an opportunity to grow in humility. And as you respond humbly, it actually engenders trust. Here's what I mean by that. Um, it was a couple of years ago. It was right before, it was like two weeks before Christmas. Uh, we gathered our staff in a staff meeting on a Wednesday morning, and Jared, our, Jared Mellinger, our senior pastor, was just, um, just, just uh, encouraging them, and then we prayed for them. And while he was praying, I just thought I had this imp- prophetic impression that there was someone there that was anticipating the holidays with a lot of fear and trepidation because they were going to encounter an extended family member where there was still a a tenseness in their relationship, a conflict that had not been resolved, and they just weren't looking forward to the holidays. And that God was wanting to prepare them for that encounter by by granting them faith. So I I shared that with Jared, said, can I share that with the group? He said, share it. So I I shared with the group what exactly I just shared with you. And I, I said, does that apply to anyone here? And they did what you're doing. They just stared at me. (laughs) Now, of course, in my pride, I could have moved on. But in my pride, I said, are you sure? There's no one here this applies to. And no one raised their hand. And I just said, "I, I miss it at times. I do make mistakes. And we went on about the rest of the time. It was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I got a knock on my door. And one of the staff members peeked in and she said, I really appreciated how you responded in that moment. Just admitting you make mistakes. That helps me. It helps us to trust you. Because we know that you'll admit it when you're wrong. See, if you have to get to prophecy and you make a mistake, it's a, it's a God moment. Where you can just be honest. I miss it at times. Be humble, and that will engender trust. Now, the fact that, the prof- that prophecy has limitations, uh, the limitation of being affected by our finite and fallen humanist means that any word that you receive prophetically, whether it's from the mic or uh, personally, whether that's on a Sunday morning or here today, you need to submit it to Scripture You need to submit it to God in prayer. You need to get wise counsel. We don't want people making decisions about their life based on prophetic words alone. That's not the way prophecy is intended to function. So that's that's the first limitation. Second limitation, the gift of prophecy has no authority. It has no authority in your life. There's only one authority in our lives, and it's God's word. So the gifts... Operate under the, the authority of the word of God. The, the gift of prophecy operates under the authority of the word of God. Prophetic words must be measured in light of Scripture and weighed in, 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 in place of Scripture or in light of Scripture, which is why prophecy is to be governed. That gift in particular is to be governed. Look at verse 29 here in chapter 14. 
Let two or three prophets speak, so they've spoken, and let the others weigh what is said. So the question is, who are the others there in verse 29? Well, in one sense, it's everybody in the gathered church. You hear a prophetic word shared? Everyone has the responsibility to weigh it, to discern it, to, to match it to the authority of Scripture. To, to submit it to God in prayer. There's a, there's a weighing there. But also, I believe what that verse teaches, because this is the gathered setting and because elders, the elders of the church, have responsibility for the Sunday service or the gathered setting, they in particular are to weigh what is said. So the way we practice that at our church um, is that we have one of our pastors and other churches, um, not that you have to do it this way, may have a, a designated leader who hears different prophetic words, and we weigh and we determine which are shared. So on a Sunday morning, typically at our church, we can have you know, two to four people that bring up prophetic words and they're, they're whispering them in our ears and then we're determining what is said or which ones are shared. And you may think, well, doesn't that squelch the spirit that way? It doesn't at all. It actually encourages the work of the spirit. The opposite is true because you talk to the folks who came with me um, when, when they know that they're just submitting the word, they've been obedient to God, and they are freed up to share that word, knowing that it's been weighed. And if it's not shared, they can trust God with that. To say it another way, they, they bring up the word, they give it to us, and now it's our problem. They're set free. It's not their problem whether they have to determine whether it's shared or not. It strengthens the work of the Spirit. So prophecy, because of its limitations, needs to be governed. Let me just close with this. The gifts are given and empowered by God to serve others, to strengthen and edify the church, and to encourage the work of the gospel. And when they're used biblically and in humility, they give God, the giver of the gifts, glory. So let me close with this story. It was um, the spring of 20. 21, I believe, or 2020, I can't remember because of the pandemic, um, uh, some of the prophecy team and I at Covenant Fellowship, we went to our youth meeting on a Saturday night. And um, I don't remember if I taught that night or if we just did ministry. That's the part I don't remember. But I'm old, so it, it, it doesn't make any difference. There was this time of ministry, and I want to share a story from a young woman that was prayed for that evening by Ramona Doyle, who's not with us today, but one of the members on our, on our team. This young woman wrote Ramona, and she said, you and several other members of the prophecy team prayed over me in March. It was March of 2021, which was a time when I was still processing a lot of sorrows from 2020. I had a, sort of reached a place of accepting that my heart would just be permanently heavy, and I feared that I would wouldn't feel joy again. You came to me and read Psalm 63. While I was in a puddle of tears, your sense was that the Lord would someday restore joy to me. I wanted to believe it, but I was skeptical of it, and if it would even happen again. I wanted to reach out to you and share that over the course of the last three months, the Lord has been faithful to restore joy to me. It happened both slowly and all at once, as if I simply realized one day that the clouds had disappeared. 
the questions quieted, the tears dried up, and the burden was lifted. He has brought significant peace and healing to things that were difficult and painful for me for over a year. I've seen him bring reconciliation to a broken relationship, direction and contentment for this season of singleness, a beautiful sense of belonging within my church family, and a renewed love for him in my heart. This was easily the most challenging season of my life, but he brought me out of it to a place of great abundance. See, the gifts are given. The gift of prophecy is given to build up and to strengthen, to restore joy in this young woman's life. In a way that you'll note here, her emphasis was not on Ramona, but upon God who had restored her. And that's the way we always want to use the gifts for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, that is our prayer that after the Q&A and we move into ministry, we, we pray for a manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good of everyone gathered here. And would you use this time to build up Green Tree Church? And would you use this time to build up each and every person here? Encourage them. For those that need consolation, console them. And we ask that it would be done in a way that there is a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that you would receive all the glory. May we leave here today as we reflect upon this morning later on today, may it be one of you receiving all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to do some Q&A. Uh, let me introduce who came with me. Um, the guy who just walked off the stage is Doug. Um, not, and the guy coming back up on the stage is... Okay, Doug. Uh, Rick, Dan, Lori, Patty, and Phil. And these are folks that are faithful members of Covenant Fellowship Church and serve in a number of ways. Um, actually, uh, Dan and Phil, we have a Christmas concert each and every year. And uh, they, they have a band that plays in our Christmas concert called, should I tell them? Yeah, please. You tell them. Started. Yeah, you tell them. We're Ebenezer Geezer. Ebenezer Geezers? <laughs> We're like the old guys. Yeah. Yeah. We have t-shirts. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so they, they had a mandatory rehearsal this morning. If they didn't rehearse, they couldn't be in the concert, and um, so they jammed, and then they came over, and then they drove over. They joined us a little bit later, so this is a chance for you to ask questions. Um, I think Dan has a mic, so just so we can record them, and uh, these people are going to answer all of the questions. Yeah. So, questions about the gifts, about the gift of prophecy, about anything else? Here's. Oh, Hudson's helping too. Hey, Hudson, how you doing? 
Okay, I have a couple things about the role of a woman, because Paul also in, in, in that same chapter 14 was talking about how women need to remain silent. So is that the reason why you filter the prophetic words through the pastoral team, because you feel the women need to be under that authority, or are women allowed to speak those prophetic words without being under that authority? And um, one question more, does a prophetic word ever call out sin rather than just building up, consoling, giving a word of encouragement? Is it ever a direct confrontation that you feel someone has unconfessed sin that um, needs to be addressed? Like, I don't know how that would work, but it just wasn't mentioned, so I was wondering about that too. Yes, both are great questions. I'll, I'll take the first one, and then you guys can uh, take the second one. Um, so, uh, obviously, we have women up here who are going to use their prophetic gifts. So we believe that this uh, teaches all, you know, that, that women are to be, keep silent in the churches doesn't mean that women can't pray in churches publicly. Can't, they can read scripture. They can use the gift of prophecy. So what is, what is he talking about here? And it's very much what you, you talked about. Um, you, have to, you have to take that particular verse um, and, and connect it to the previous verses. So he's talking about, what he's trying to do in, this, in, in Corinth is, the, it's a chaotic service, right? He's, so he's trying to bring order, because people are speaking over one another, and they're speaking tongues over one another, prophetic words over one another. And the purpose of trying to bring order is no one's being edified, right? The church isn't going to be built up that way. So he's bringing order, and one of the ways that he brings order is that there would be uh, one prophecy given at a time. You see that in verse, in, in verse 29. And then there's the weighing what is said uh, that I mentioned. And, and because the elders are responsible for the, the, the service, we see that as a responsibility partly um, for that verse for elders. So it's really um, the role of a, of, a, of a pastor or someone that he would designate as a leader and because we're complementarian in nature, believe that men are pastors, elders, um, that we wouldn't have women weigh what is said in a, an authoritative elder sense is, is what that really means. So very much what you, what you talked about. But um, in saying that, we want to always emphasize how vital women are in the church, uh, must use all of their gifts. We, all of our churches would be far weaker if, if women weren't active in ministry using their gifts. And we'd also want to talk about all the ways that women can be used in public ministry um, with some of those I just mentioned, and that would include the gift of prophecy. So that's, that's my answer to that. So, yeah, yep, you sure can. And use the mic, so. Okay. As uh, someone who is involved in the prophecy team of the church, I'm under authority. And I am thankful to God that I am under authority because uh, the pastors are responsible. They're the ones who are going to give account to the Lord for people like me in the congregation, people like you. So I can freely exercise any prophetic uh, unction that the Lord gives me when, by being under authority because I can go and I can say, I think this. And if the pastor says, well, I don't think that that is for this time, then I can be released and say, okay, you know, Lord, I was faithful. I brought it. It wasn't time to share it. But what is the most important thing to me is that the name of the Lord be glorified, you know, not my name. So I'm thankful to God that I can enjoy submitting to the authority of the pastor. Great. All right, so the, can a prophetic word speak into an area of sin? 
or unrepentant sin? That's, that's the question, right? Yep. So, um, first of all, I've learned a lot from Dan. So we had a woman uh, in our meeting who I had an impression that she was considering having an abortion. And I didn't want to go up and pray for her by myself. So I remember to Patty, and I'm like, Patty, I have this impression that this woman over here is um, considering an abortion. And I went and talked to the singles pastor about it, because I didn't know who she was. And um, he encouraged us to go pray for her. And Patty says, uh, I have that same impression. <laughs> so I'm like, I guess we're really not running away from this one. We've got to hit this one head on. So I've learned from Dan just to speak in a way that's general and gracious. So I, I said to the woman, I feel like there's a decision you have ahead of you. And it's a very important decision that weighs in your heart. And I believe that God just wants you to know he's going to lead you and guide you in this decision. And as you consider, um, you know, your options um, to pursue him, and he will guide you in that. So I felt like she knew what I was talking about. You prayed over me one time way back in the Golan Center over something. Um, and Danny's got this loud voice. And he's coming toward me. I'm like, oh, no, like not. <laughs> and he just whispered in my ear in a very general way. I knew exactly what he was talking about. But if you heard it and you heard it, it really might not make any sense. But I've always remembered that and I appreciate that. So that's helped me. Yeah. Anything you would add to the story that Doug? Um, yeah, that was stunning to have both of us because I was sitting there saying, Lord, you know, what would you have me do here? And uh, so it was a done deal when Doug came up to me and said, yeah, we need to go pray for this woman. But um, there have been other times where um, God's given me an insight into the sin in a baptism setting, but naming the sin out loud wasn't going to serve anybody. Um, but able to speak words of, you know, God's faithfulness to deliver that person from that sin, um, you know, without using the word pornography or whatever. And, you know, there's a way to, yes, speak into sin, um, but God's going to make it really clear I, if I need to identify the sin or not. Yeah. Dan, you've had some experiences. Uh, choose one. Okay. Choose one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, not I mean, I've, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I've had a few, but, I, I, you know, uh, like I remember one time I, we were, this woman was being baptized and the Lord showed me uh, that she had struggled with alcohol and her husband in particular. And then the Lord showed me her husband was just dropping this bottle of alcohol and God was going to set him free. And so I was able to share that in a way that it was not embarrassing to her, you know, but I just saw like there had been chains upon her and those chains were chains of addiction, you know, and so the Lord ministered. Another time I had a, a, a man who was, and uh, uh, he still goes to our church, thank God, uh, but that he had struggled with homosexuality. And uh, so the way the Lord had me to bring that out is brother, uh, I, I think that you've been wrestling with an unseemly love, mm -hmm. okay? And so uh, I want to tell you, God moved in this man's life. He's married. He has beautiful children, you know, and God has completely released him from that bondage, you know. But that's, you know, they're, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we want to make sure that we're caring for each other in the same way that the Lord has cared for us. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't count all of our sins against us. Who can stand? I think the scripture says, but he lovingly and gently draws us to him. Yeah. 
So yeah, to answer your question, yes. I think it's how you deliver a prophetic word. That's what you're hearing that's so, so important. And, and depending on setting, what words you might use. So he didn't use homosexuality, unseeming love, uh, choice, decision. So great, great questions. Other questions? All right, start with Glenn, and then we'll go in the back. Go ahead, Glenn. How do you get on the prophecy team? Like, is like, <laughs> yeah. the word that keeps coming to mind is like audition? Like, yeah. what, what do you? <laughs> you need to pay Mark. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, this is such a great question. Um, I am not a fan of prophecy team because it sounds exclusive, right? And there, are, there's like the clean and the unclean almost type thing, right? And um, I'm just not a big fan of it. In fact, I, I went to an elders meeting a few years ago and tried to change the name, um, and I lost the vote because I don't think I had a good alternative. So it's still in my mind, when I get a good alternative name, I'm still gonna go back to the elders again and try to win that because of the, of, of the exclusivity. Um, but to, uh, so we, we believe what, that Scripture teaches, if you, if you take a look at, at uh, actually verse, uh, chapters 12 through 14, that actually anyone could have a prophetic word. There's times when that can happen. There are those that specifically have the gift of prophecy where they consistently are used uh, in their gift of prophecy. And so uh, what we're simply doing is looking for people in our church that uh, use their gift. It might be in a small group. It might be our youth at youth camp. And we're just trying to know who they are, and we're just inviting them to join us. Um, in fact, Lori, Lori Snyder's been growing in her gift, and this is her first trip to take with us. Because I recently said, just, let's just make this official. You're on the team. Why don't you come on a trip with us? Because we're just, uh, just watch her effectiveness with, with her gift. So we're just simply, it's just simply a group of people that have the gift of prophecy. And what we're trying to do is to invest into them. So we do quarterly meetings. Um, and I, on a Friday night, we meet at six o'clock as a team, have dinner together. We're either talking through an article, where I'm asking how things are going in ministry, whether in small group or on a Sunday morning. And then we do a 7.30 meeting that the entire church is invited to called Exploring the Gift of Prophecy. And it's open to those who may be new to the church and they wonder if they have this gift. So it's, it's, uh, it sounds exclusive, which I don't like, but it's, it's not. So anything you guys would add? Yeah, I'll add to that. So the, the way I ended up on the prophecy team was I went up to Mark on a Sunday. <laughs> I just, um, I said, look, I've never done this before. Uh, I've seen you guys do it, but here's what I feel like God wants to say this morning. And I shared it with him and he was like, yeah, stay right here, you know? And um, I think it's just over time, there have just been a lot of times when like I had questions about prophetic gifting, about how to deliver words that are difficult and uh, how to go about that. And I would just seek direction in that. And then I think being in a church that uses the gifts of the spirit, I felt more comfortable exercising the gifts when when they feel like, uh, when it feels like it's appropriate to do so. Now anymore, what I try to do is just try to shake it off. And yeah. if I can't shake it off, I'll go to the mic. Yeah. That seems like the right thing to do at this point. Yeah. All right, back here. Yeah, um, along the same line. So is there, just in general about spiritual gifts, 
Is there a category where someone may have a natural gift that they're born with and then become converted as a Christian and then that is actually considered a spiritual gift as they use it to help build the body? Is, is that, because, and, and here is maybe a secondary question along the same lines as Glenn's is, in any congregation, you know, you read texts like we read today where it says, you know, each is given a gift, is how would you find out what that is and how that might serve your church? Maybe yeah. if you could speak to those things. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll jump in the first part and you guys jump in after me. I, um, I think that the answer to the first part of the question is, is somebody born with this? And, I, can they, and, then, it, and then it becomes a spiritual gift, sort of question is what your, your question was. I, not born with the gift of prophecy, right? but just born with a gift that could serve the church, but it didn't before. Right, born with a gift that could serve the church. They're, 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 they're just delivered into the world, and they're not Christians yet, right? Sort of a question. I think the answer is yes, that, that can happen. I mean, partly because, take, uh, you look at 1 Corinthians 14, um, I forget which verse it is, it talks about the gifts of, of administration, for example. That's a gift. One of our daughters was born, and she began to organize things, and I realized, oh, this... This is, this is a ministry of a little girl. She keeps lists that are like, she keeps lists of lists type, type, type thing. And um, wasn't, wasn't a Christian. Uh, so she, she was born, but I would still say God gave her that. Um, now, when she was converted and became a Christian, her orientation for how to use that gift not, not only included just generally, but obviously included the church. So I think, to answer your question, Yes, I think that can happen. I would still give credit to God because God created her. He knitted her in the womb to have this administrative gifting. So, and then what the second question, how do I know what gifts I have? Right? All right. Mark, I was just going to add that to the gentleman's question back there. As Mark's taught today, just that it's the Holy Spirit empowering that individual. Yeah, good. So I think that it ties it back into the gospel, just as he said. So, yeah, I think that we have certain personalities, right? And But it's a divine revelation. So the Lord may give you and I a, a divine revelation, and you have a certain personality, and I have a certain personality. And so how we communicate that might be different, but it's powered by the Holy Spirit, but his message gets across. So just add that. So how do they know which gifts they have? Okay, thoughts, Rick? You got the mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've done some studies. I mean, like uh, Sam Storms has the the, uh, the beginner's gifts of, of uh, Duncan's guide to spiritual gifts. The beginner's guide to spiritual gifts. That Duncan, I've read about four times. Then I'm still trying to work <laughs> on the title. But um, so we've gone through that. I think you know, and then also, so as you, you understand those certain gifts, also you begin to step out in those gifts. You're praying about those gifts. Um, so if you feel like, okay, yes, I have the gift of prophecy and the Lord's, Lord, give me those impressions, you know, posture my heart correctly, and then you might be in a small group or wherever and step out in faith and see what God does and see, so see what the fruit is, right? So I, I, would, I would certainly say go to scripture, read books. Um, that would be my direction. Patty? Doug? I think... 
I think it just helps when I, specifically for prophecy, when I'm reading the word, I just ask the Lord, is there something you have here for me to share? And I remember one time like, I was reading Micah and the, um, the Lord said, I forgave them yet again. And those words yet again just like popped off the page. And I just prayed about that. And out of that came a word that I was able to share to encourage people. So just, you know, when you're in the word, ask God. Or when you're in your prayer time, you know, ask God, you know, is there, is there something you have for me? Maybe before you go to community group, is there somebody you have, you know, for me to minister to? And so when, when, when I've done that, he's been very faithful. I'm thinking just any gift. And so I'm thinking get out there and serving your church. Mm-hmm. There's many a things where you can be serving and you will find where God leads you on what is the best place to be in serving. I was never administrative as a kid. <laughs> And now I'm doing a lot of administration, and I would have never thought I was going to be doing that. But God has instilled that in me as I served in various functions. The other thing I, do, I would encourage is uh, talk to your pastors. Um, talk to others that know you. And I'm trying to understand my gifts. What, what do you see? Those kind of questions. Um, I've had meetings with people. They're like, I'm having these experiences, and I don't know what to do with them. As we unpack them. I'm saying, well, you may have the gift of prophecy. We don't know for certain, but pray with them and see if it continues to happen. And from that, it begins to, for a lot of folks, it just, that gift begins to grow. And I would say one last thing is, as I was exploring, in particular, the gift of prophecy, I was encouraged by Rick. You know, um, if you want to know the heart of God, read his word. So just be in the word um, excessively. And that will be something that will help to, let you see the way that his heart is and, and in tune, then he can use you to deliver information from time to time. Yeah. Helpful. Yep. Other questions? There's one over this way. There's two over here. All right. We'll go. Hudson got there first. We'll go here. So I was wondering if you could define the difference between prophetic word and maybe uh, prophecy spoken in public with an interpretation and also the difference between a gift of discernment and a prophetic word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you say uh, a gift of a prophecy, a gift of a prophecy and are you, did you mean tongue and interpretation or prophecy with interpretation? Oh, with, you know what? I guess that's probably what I'm Tongue thinking. with interpretation? Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at, if you look at 1 Corinthians 14, um, the, the basic... The basic difference is, is this. It says in verse 2, um, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. Right? For no, no one understands him but utters mysteries in the spirit. And then verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. So there's a difference. Someone who's speaking in a tongue is speaking to God. Prophetic words shared are speaking to people. You see that, that difference and then if you look at verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So there's self-edification there. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. There's corporate edification. So in, if someone has the gift of interpretation of tongues, and someone has a tongue and they, um, someone else or they think they have the interpretation, you test the interpretation by Scripture. Are they speaking to God? And is it, um, 
Is it, it, will it be edifying? Now, obviously, if there's interpretation, it's got to be edifying not only for them, but for the church to hear. And this is what I, I liken it to. When a tongue with interpretation is shared, it's very similar to reading a psalm that is very Godward oriented. It's, it's the interpretation is all Godward oriented and brings God glory. And it's like we're sitting there listening into this person giving God glory. And that can be edifying. So that's how you test it. Whereas prophecy uh, is speaking to people for the corporate, either individual or corporate edification and doesn't need interpretation. So that, and then you had another question. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, sorry, before we go on, Patty's got it. So I actually um, have experienced the gift of interpretation. And I will say that the best way I can describe whether, um, because there are times that I've realized I don't have a prophetic impression, I have an interpretation impression that I get a very, very vague, I get a directionality and a theme, but I don't understand it all until I hear the tongue. Right. So before hearing a tongue, I can realize I have an interpretation. And I guess the word I'll say is percolating. So when I, when I get a prophetic impression, it's like a drip, oh no, <laughs> coffee that drips down you know, from God, his heart for the people. When I get an impression that there's an interpretation coming, it percolates up and it's directed towards God. And you had, what was your second um, What would be the difference between a prophetic word and oh, a gift sorry. of discernment? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think with, um, anybody want to give it a try before I jump in? Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Uh, I think that they can work together. Uh, but I think that, uh, I think that discernment uh, as to uh, what someone's going through or perhaps who someone is, that can open their ears for then a prophecy as well from the Lord because the Lord kind of gets your attention through th that discerning word. Uh, the other thing is is that anything like if you feel like you have a gift of discernment to where you, you feel like it may aid the church, then you would bring it to your pastor and uh, you know allow that to either be uh, something that they would employ or something that they would say, no, I don't, I don't really see that, you know. But it's just, it's a great gift for the church, you know. Uh, but any, anything, uh, discernment should not uh, cause one to feel like that, that now they have the direction, okay. Discernment is a gift to where you're just going to be faithful to bring the word. And you don't know how that's going to play out, but the Lord does. Good. So there's questions back here. Well, I got a little excited. And I might have raised my hand too soon. But what I want to do is what I'm thinking about is what I would take away from this is like stay in the spirit. Stay open to the spirit. And to do this, you meditate on the word and you pray. Praying is so important, I think. Mm -hmm. If you have something inside you that has to come out, sometimes you just wait 24 hours before you push send. If you know what I mean. But Lord, you say, God, <clears throat> is this from you? And if it is, then you'll, you can meditate more and more and then maybe it'll come to fruition. But yeah. whatever it is, I think pray prayer, meditation, and staying in God's word, mm -hmm. there's, your, there's your answers to everything. Yeah, Amen. that's well said. 
So maybe a, a question to kind of piggyback off of what Mike was saying. What, what should someone do uh, if they're in the small group situation or in the public gathering church and um, maybe it's the first time they're feeling a sense that they are receiving something from the Lord as should be shared and they've, they've never done it before. What kind of exercise, like what do they do with that to be encouraged to do that and to discern if it's appropriate to do that? So is this me or is this the Lord? Right. That's what they're wrestling with. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think that you just go and if it's, if it's a, a word that you feel like needs to be brought, like one old pastor, I remember one time he said, you know, the only uh, time on a, a prophetic guy's watch is now, you know, <laughs> say it now, now is the day of salvation, you know, uh, but that isn't necessarily the case. So if, uh, if, first of all, small groups or care groups, home groups are the ideal place to begin to, you know, employ the gift. And, you know, there's a lot of grace there. Usually it's with people that you know. Uh, if it's a word that you're questioning, you may want to just bring it to the leader, you know, either before or sometimes during the meeting, and then, uh, you know, just move accordingly, you know. Uh, so I think that, uh, uh, you know, they that wait upon the Lord, as, as this brother was saying, you know, they shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles, you know. So sometimes it is good to hold it, but if, if the Lord is really giving you that unction, then you've got to just go for it, you know. Like uh, my grandfather used to see, say, sing in the key of letter, let her fly. You know, <laughs> I was just going to add also that Dan's always tough to follow, as you can tell. But um, I was just going to add that when I get an impression, I think, okay, Lord, does this honor you? And is it encouraging? Is it going to be encouraging to the hearer? And if it is, it's like, okay, Lord, is now the time? Yes or no, or you know, maybe it's for a different meeting, or maybe it's not a public word, but it's for a specific individual, right? So the kind of questions I'm thinking about and praying about. And sometimes when I ask the Lord, is this really for me to share, I don't get that sense I should, but I'm meant to pray for them. So sometimes there's a burden I might have for someone, and I just may pray for them. And then maybe, who knows, like a month later, we might be in a situation, and it's a ministry time, and boom, it's time to give it. Yeah, I, uh, I've always been kind of reluctant to uh, seek the, the uh, gift of prophecy because of the warnings in the Bible about false prophets, and I don't want to get dragged out of the church and stoned. So I thought yeah. That would, yeah, they stoned that would, them. That wouldn't yeah. be a fun deal. One time you're wrong. But uh, no, my question would be, how, do, how would you find yourselves um, inclined to offer a prophecy? Like in a group like this, there could be a general prophecy about someone in the congregation or yeah. um, is there an interaction with someone that like you mentioned the, the woman who was dealing with the question about abortion like how, would you just pick her see her in a in a group and that comes to you or some kind of you know it's a good question more direct interaction yeah good question <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, sometimes it'll just be, uh, the Lord will just give you a word. Like one time we went, we're at a celebration conference. And so uh, CJ said, I think that Dan has, has a word, you know, for someone. So I went up to the microphone and, and I said, well, I said, the Lord had shown me a couple and their name is Paul and Sharon, or it could be Paul and Cheryl, but you're leading a care group right now. 
and you're very discouraged and God wants to give you encouragement, okay? Now that's, yeah, it's pretty bizarre, you know, like, and you know, I could have just stood up there and looked like an absolute fool, but to my surprise, up walks Paul and Sharon and up walks Paul and Cheryl. <laughs> so, so, the, so the funny thing is, is that, you know, it's like you, you know, the risk that you have in prophecy is that you'll look like an idiot as if that's never happened to me before. <laughs> so, so what? You know, what if God may get some glory out of it by using someone like you? You know, I mean, uh, you know, it's not my name that's going to be lifted up. It's the name of the Lord. And so my, my want is to glorify God, you know, in everything that we do. Uh, if I could just share one more thing. I had like a, a Zoom meeting with the church in Parramatta, uh, Australia. Uh, we had gone there as a uh, prophecy team uh, with Mark. And so uh, we regularly will, you know, do things, you know, with their prophetic teams, you know. And so someone asked me, they said, well, what do you think about the fact that there is an office of the prophet? And, and uh, you know, would you see yourself as being in the office of, the, of a prophet? I said, no. I said, because... I said, I think that if you try to call yourself something, that that can lend to itself to pride, okay? So people want to identify with bishop. They want to identify, you know, with, with uh, all different types of positions in the church, elder or deacon. But the most important thing that we're really going for here is for God to say these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all the title that I need. And I told them, like, if someone came up to me and they'd never prophesied before and they prophesied over me and it impacted me and then they never prophesied again, I'd probably say, man, they're really prophetic. They, they seem like, you know, God's given them the gift of a prophet. But, but it, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to them what they're called by someone else. What matters is how are we serving the house of God? You know, what we're going for, again, all I want to hear is servant, good and faithful servant. If I can hear those words, my whole life will have been worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take a different spin on that question because we get this question every now and then. And uh, I just want to tell you a quick story that just blew my mind and God really encouraged me in it. So I was actually, we have this uh, store, it's an Amish store right around the corner from where I live. And I went in, and um, I just was ready to get some chicken and, and uh, you know, not really in tune to anything. But I felt like the Lord say, uh, see that man over there. I want you to go and pray for him. And I, I was like, Lord, I'm, I, have, I just got my number. I'm not really, you know, I'm, 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 I, you know it's a long line, right? So I said, look, I, you know, you, have, you guys probably never do this. But, you know, I said, Lord, you know, if he's still there by the time I get my chicken, right? So, uh, right. So sure enough, just a minute later, his wife came up to him and they left. And I was like, all right, you know, obviously, you know, it was early in the morning, right? It was good, you know, so, and then I actually went, I got my chicken and then I went uh, to a different place and uh, this, this store is rather narrow. It's really like just the length of this stage, if that, uh, width-wise. And uh, so I was there ordering something and as soon as I turned around, he was right there, right there. And it's crowded. 
And so I just felt like the Spirit of God, you know, just move, and I, I put my hand on him. Now, he's a total stranger, right? Um, and he's also, he was African-American. So I want to be careful and be sensitive and all that. And, uh, you know, so I, I said to him uh, that I felt like the, uh, God wanted to speak to you. And I said, you know, so I, I gave him some impressions about how he was, God was going to use him with, with younger boys who were distraught and isolated and, um, and, that, and that, that he was going to be used in that venue in a school and, um, and that he was going to kind of raise these, these boys up. Also that he had an issue with his son and they were, had been at odds and, and I felt that the Lord was saying that, um, you know, to wait on him you know, wait on him that God was going to move. And it was along those lines. And then I just said, Lord bless you. And I went the other way. I don't want like the security coming after me, right? So, um, but unbeknownst to me, so then he came up to me and he said, can I talk to you about your, your, your word or, or your impression? I forget exactly his. So the way he used it sounded like, oh, maybe he's a Christian. So I talked to him later. And what blew my mind was uh, a couple of things. One, he quickly, at that time, when, when I said that to him, he quickly turned to his wife and said, did you see that guy? I, I, he said, I, I thought he might have been an angel. And, and, you know, but I said, but if you know my wife, you know I'm no angel, <laughs> right? So, but what blew my mind is he said, yes, a couple of things. He said, uh, yes, I'm a teacher at a school for boys only. And, and he said, I'm thinking about starting my own school. And then he said, yes, he said um, about my son, you know, what you said was true. There's some issues there going on. And he was saying, he was telling me about it. But he, what he said to me after this is always what grips me. <clears throat> he said, what you don't know is, he said, my wife and I were at a, an event out in, well, you guys probably, you're close enough. So out in Lancaster, they have the Sight and Sound, if you've ever been there, right? And he said, we're at Sight and Sound, and we were deciding where, you know, where to go. So he said, we went and saw uh, Moses, and he said, at the, at the um, point where God is speaking in, in the burning bush, and, 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 you know, it's this holy ground or whatever, um, when they had their five-minute break, this gentleman said, Lord, he said, you don't speak to me that way anymore. Mm. Hour and a half later, a total stranger is talking to him. And the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God, is empowering him. And then he ended up coming to our church and going through some courses. And, and, and they, they, they have a beautiful marriage and they help some married couples out. Um, I say that to encourage you. Don't leave the gift here. Go and talk to neighbors. You pray about it. Go out. Because just as it says in, in Luke 10, verse 9, heal the sick. And tell them the kingdom of God is near. Amen. I think that's a great question. And you asked a lot of questions. And the answers to all of them are yes. So um, it just comes down to, just to wrap it up real quick, it's just a matter of faith. That's really what it is. You're just going to try to be obedient to God and what it is that you think that he has for you in that moment. And, um, you know, it's probably the wrong way to say it, but just don't think too much. You know what I mean? I mean, you do want to think, you do want to have discernment and, and test stuff against scripture. God is this from you and all that. But by the same token, I don't want to talk myself out of it or have fear of man be the thing that prevents God from moving in a way where he's going to use me. I just need to have faith. That's all. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, I know there's other questions, but I, I think I'm going to transition this to ministry. Those questions, though, we'll hang around here.
and you can ask them, and we want to answer all of them. Can you just clarify, though, that difference between an Old Testament prophet and the gift of prophecy? Because I think that's, yeah. that, I mean, those are two different things in my yeah. mind. So I don't, I don't yeah. fear getting stoned if I have a swing and a miss. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. If I have a swing and a miss prophetic word, like if I give the wrong word to the wrong person, which is We won't happened. stone Patty is yeah. what she's saying. Yeah, she's wrong. Uh, Old Testament prophets, you know, are, are very unique in Scripture. Their primary purpose was to warn and to point people to a coming Savior. Um, the gift of prophecy today doesn't accomplish that because Christ has already accomplished salvation in redemptive history. And so uh, when we make mistakes, uh, we do so under the blood of the cross. And New Testament prophecy accomplishes something much different. You see that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. Um, the Savior has come. That doesn't mean a prophetic word couldn't point someone to, to the Savior, but the work is accomplished in the gospel already. Um, so the, it's intended to primarily build up the church um, is, is the distinction. So, so I, I know others of you had questions. I'm so sorry to transition this, but I, I really want you to benefit from prophetic ministry. But if you didn't get a question, ask. We'll linger.